Welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. Hey, friends, I'm your host, Ryan Key. Hello there again. I'm your host, Nick Anbarian. It's a happy day. We have What a big night. We have our first podcast with two guests. Not just one guest, but two guests. Our guest situation is getting so professional that... I don't even know if we're going to be able to handle it. It's just too... So pro, dude. I'm going to get like a briefcase soon. (laughs) Yeah. My my own bank account and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I might open a savings account. Yeah. Get a station wagon. (laughs) So we we have Charles Beecham and Heather Antos, former editors at Marvel, who worked on some Star Wars shit that I'm so stoked to talk about. Hi, guys. Welcome. Hey. hey, thanks. Hi. Thanks for being here. Do you remember when we started this idea? We had an idea. Let's have a Star Wars podcast. Like, And we thought that might be fun and we'll talk about some stuff and maybe people will listen to it. And then now we have editors of Star Wars comics on our little show. Remember that? It's crazy town. <laughs> yeah. Now we're real. Again, I said I have a briefcase and a suit. <laughs> I want to ride in your station wagon. You have a savings account. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. Finally. Finally. I'm going to finally ask that barista out that I've always wanted to ask out. <laughs> <laughs> this is very cool for me. Um, Charles and I have been friends for quite a long time. Kind of want to ask, but before we get into that, also... Heather, awesome to have you here. Heather and I met through Charles. Mm -hmm. For those of you that don't know, I had the incredible honor of working with Marvel Comics. And I say I wrote the comic book, but Charles wrote the comic book as much as I did. I couldn't have done it without him. But Charles is the one who brought me in and and suggested it might be cool to work with me to the the powers that be. And (laughs) I got to write a comic book for Marvel. And it was one of the most insane achievements and experiences of my professional life. And I'm super grateful to you, bud, for doing that for me. I met Heather through visiting Marvel and doing the comic book and just getting to be, you know, buds over Star Wars through the whole thing. The three of us went to see the New York Phil play along to Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. It was the Lincoln Center, correct? That's where we went to yeah. see it. In yeah. Manhattan. Oh, Manhattan. I love you guys. Love Manhattan. <sighs> love everyone. New York, we love you. But we went to see Empire be played live by the New York Phil together, and that was one of my favorite Star Wars memories I've ever had, and I had it with you guys, so it's so yeah. awesome to have you here. But I wanted to ask Charles, I don't think we've ever had this conversation, and if we have, I'm sorry, I'm old and my brain doesn't work quite as great as it used to, but this started, our relationship started because you had come to some yellow card shows, but like, how far back does that go? <laughs> <laughs> like what's the you, what's the original I'm so glad that this is happening I can't even <laughs> good what's the original like before we worked together in a professional capacity and called each other friends genuinely where did that start I'm so embarrassed right now. I'm so happy. You say some yellow card I'm shows. So happy. Like, how many yellow card stickers do you have on like your keyboard case there, and like on your trapper keyboard at school? Did you stand? Uh, how many yellow card bumper stickers are on your station wagon? Oh man! So my station wagon doesn't have any because <laughs> I got that well after the yellow card years. Unfortunately, I, I dude, I went to. I don't know, 13, 14 yellow card shows over the years, which isn't like a lot, but like I, I tried to go no, every year. That means year. you came like one every year when we yeah. came through. I, I have to say though, I, if, if I can embarrass Charles a little bit. It's so uh, easy. Yes, it's please. so easy. I remember being in the offices when the final tour was announced for yellow card. <sighs> this is 2000, uh, mid 2016. Yes. And Like, I feel like he was having an existential breakdown. Like, he truly just didn't know what to do with himself. It was very adorable. You know what, though? 
I was in the band and I didn't know what to do with myself. And that's <laughs> I mean, why we're fair. friends. No, 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 no. Totally fair. But I just, it, 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 I remember like seeing his face and it was like, you know, someone just told him his grandmother had died or something. <laughs> you, you have to remember, Heather, like this was the second time in my life that I had to deal with this. That's true. Uh, they, that's they true. Went we pulled on this on you twice. Yeah. In like 2000, was it 2007? Eight, you 2008. Got, two, yeah. 2008. That's right. Because um, I, I actually flew out and saw you guys at the Troubadour. I grew up in Texas and I flew out to the Troubadour show when you guys did the Paper Walls release. The two Yeah, that deal. was like 2007 and we were setting up for that whole record and it just didn't quite pan out. Yeah, and I was so stoked on that, right? And then and then in 2008, you guys were like, we're going on hiatus and I died inside then. And then I was <laughs> super stoked. Uh, me and my buddies drove down from, we went to school in Utah. We drove down to LA to go to the Glass House yeah. to nice. see you for the Welcome Back show, yeah, uh, which was super dope. Got to see Joe, you guys' old band manager there, which was super yep. neat. Anyway, your, your question was, how far back does it go? The first yellow card show that I ever saw was Dallas Warp Tour the summer before Ocean Avenue came out. So 2002, probably. Yeah. Man, that's yep. Aww, only a, a mere 18 years baby. ago. You want to know like a funny moment that I had this uh, last week? I just bought a new lawnmower because I'm an old man. Yes. Um, and I was mowing my lawn for the first time with my new lawnmower. And I put on my headphones and I instinctively put on Ocean Avenue because the first time I listened to that record, my mom had me out pulling weeds. <laughs> I love that. And she was like, that was what my payment for doing the weeds that day was, okay, I'll go down to Sam Goody and buy you Ocean Avenue <laughs> love if that, you man. go out and pull the weeds. So. Sam Goody, well, Goody yeah. what a drop. Yeah, what a drop. <laughs> Remember record stores? Remember um, FYE? Jeez. Oh, <laughs> man. Well, wrapping up all the good old days, I just would say that like this is a great story to me because you hear about bands and fans and those relationships. And I just think for you have following the band that far back and the journey I was on at that time in my mid twenties was not one that was, Hey, me and Charles are going to be buddies. I was in my own orbit, but <laughs> the fact that we ended up later in life connecting and becoming the buds that we have like genuinely becoming friends. I mean, dude, we, we stay in touch. We text like every couple of weeks, like, hey, what's yeah, up? Man. How are you doing? I mean, it's, I love it, dude. And I'm so stoked to have both of you here, but I just thought that was a cool story to tell everyone. So welcome to the show. Thanks. So glad to it's be okay. here. It's okay. I'm just here to be the pretty face. <laughs> no, you're here for the fun Charles <laughs> anecdotes. We love that. Oh man. I didn't even think about, oh boy. <laughs> I love that story. It's right, sweet. Let's get into some Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into some stuff. So we are not doing a specific film today. We're, we're, we're trying to preserve some hint of structure for you guys, boys and girls, the listeners. So even though we don't have IMDb details on these folks, we're still going to do some stolen plans. What have you done with those plans? Okay, so Charles and Heather were each at Marvel for a handful of years, Charles from 2014 to 2017, Heather from 2015 to 2018, both as editors. But like we talked about leading up to the recording here, you were by title assistant editors, but based on how projects go, you may have been the all caps editor of one issue or one series or the other. And the credits for the two of you are just like, Man, <laughs> so sick, so sick. Just to give you a little taste, Heather worked on the Force Awakens adaptation, Thrawn 1 and 2, Star Wars Jedi Republic, Mace Windu 4 and 5, Star Wars Annual number 3, Rogue One adaptation, the whole series 1 through 6, Poe Dameron Annual, Dr. Aphra, uh, The Last Jedi adaptation, and then as assistant editor, a list as long as 
Drew's leg, and he's tall. <laughs> Darth Vader, Princess Leia, uh, Kane and Lando, Shattered Empire, Chewbacca, all kinds of awesome stuff. Charles worked on Mace Windu, Darth Vader, Skywalker Strikes, which was... That was the first, the, the first collection yeah. of The very Star first in 2015, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Princess Leia, Kane and the Last Padawan. There's probably a ton that I'm missing here. Charles Adams is going to want to be best friends with you because you worked on Princess Leia. Princess Leia makes him cry. All the music <laughs> makes him cry. Like a baby. <laughs> Princess Leia equals Adam tears. I actually have a page from that Princess Leia series on my wall in front of me, like right awesome. up here. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so funny thing about our Star Wars comics, I guess, working together on that, Heather, like if I was the first assistant on those books, right? Mm-hmm. If I was Darth Maul, you would be... Dooku, but really like Anakin, right? Like you came in and unseated me and took (laughs) over the Star Wars books. (laughs) Yeah. So for those that don't know, Charles kicked off, I guess, the Star Wars line at Marvel. He was the first assistant editor. You know, he did Star Wars. He did Darth Vader, Princess Leia, the first issues of all of those. Sort of the Um, new canon reboot after the EU was wiped by the Disney acquisition. Correct. Yeah. Well, when was the acquisition? What year was that? Acquisition was 2013. Right. So he, you came in right at that. Like, it's yeah. time. You know, everything was happening right then. Yeah. And I started literally the month after all those books launched. Yeah. And basically, Charles trained me on how to be an assistant editor on them because my first week, our boss was on vacation. He was at Disney. <laughs> yeah. And I give him shit for it to this day. Yeah. <laughs> He just left us to run the ship. Well, and when, by fire, when my replacement started, the next assistant, he was on vacation her first week, too. That's classic. <laughs> wow. Classic. <laughs> you guys were all like Ray jumping in the Falcon for the first time. Exactly. Like, That's all exactly right. I'm going to turn this thing on and see what happens. So yep. what is, so I, I guess first tell us, when you got hired, did you know that these projects were about to start? Had they already dropped publicly? Where was all of that when you got hired? For me, so I started in February 2015, and the news that Marvel was getting Star Wars was announced at San Diego in July of 2014. Mm-hmm. So I knew this was happening, and I knew Jordan at the time, and we we bumped into each other at New York Comic Con a couple months later, and I was like, oh my gosh, congratulations. Jordan was the lead editor on Star Wars. Yeah, and shortly after, that's when Jordan asked if I wanted to interview. So I knew Star Wars was happening, and I knew I was interviewing ostensibly for that position. I remember actually realizing that, oh, me getting hired means the person who's working on Star Wars is going to have to come off of those books. Yeah. And I I did some research. I figured out who it was. It was this person named Charles Beecham. And like, <laughs> I felt so bad because I, I was just like, whoever this is, they're going to hate me. It's going to be terrible <laughs> office dynamics. And I can't blame them for hating me. I ended up, I think, DMing you on Twitter and writing you this like message. I, I don't remember exactly if it was, if you reached out to me or if I reached out to you, but we did connect on Twitter. And yeah. I don't know if it was like overtly like put out there, oh, I'm taking over Star Wars books. But like the realization <laughs> was had, tears yeah. were shed, but, but we were always buds, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's kind of the cool thing about our relationship. Like, it could have been bad, but, like, we were always good. That just makes you a good person, Heather, that you were like, "Uh uh-oh, I got to start apologizing now. 
I feel really bad. (laughs) And she did it every day for like three years. Like every time something (laughs) awesome happened in the Star Wars book, she's like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, that that was like, uh, because it was like, even like I got to go to Lucasfilm and and you didn't when you were on the books. And and I just, but Charles would also use that too. Like he would definitely (laughs) milk it. Charles, uh, (laughs) if Think the Maker gets to go to Lucasfilm, you're you're coming with. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, dude. Thank you. I still haven't been. Um, yeah, I got a t-shirt out of that. I got a Lucasfilm t-shirt out of that. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. In true Star Wars fashion, the last thing you do at Lucasfilm is go to the gift shop. It's a great gift shop. You just have to buy things when it comes to Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, I didn't know when I got hired. I mean, I knew that Marvel had the rights for Star Wars. I didn't know I was going to be working on those books. So it was like a big deal when I got there day one and they were like, uh, yeah, you're going to be working with Jordan on Star Wars stuff. Um, and I about died. I like, I called my dad that day and I was like, dad, I'm, <laughs> I'm working on Star Wars and it's so awesome. <laughs> and it was amazing. Uh, it was really cool to be able to, to work on that stuff. And I, you know, I finished out my time at Marvel again, working on Star Wars stuff, working on the Mace Windu books, helping to cast people on the Lando miniseries that they did. I mean, it was an amazing ride. I, I feel like I've already peaked and I'm in my thirties. So like, <laughs> what do I do now? No, you're just Dude. getting started, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the feeling like it's not like you're interviewing specifically for Star Wars. It's like you get hired and it's like, cool, uh, welcome. So here's the best thing that's ever going to happen to you. <laughs> no, yeah. Basically, and not only Star Wars, right? You're not only working on Star Wars, but for, you know, us who are comic geeks and comic folk, like it's Star Wars with the biggest names in comics like yeah, Jason yeah. Aaron, Kieran Gillen, Salva LaRocca, Stuart John Eminem, Cassidy, John Cassidy. Yeah. Like my first week it was, okay, Heather, you're going to deliver notes to Mark Wade. Have fun. <laughs> I shit my pants. Like I, I remember one of my first assignments was to write the opening crawl for the book going to print that week. And yeah. I, it was Princess Leia number two. And uh, every single Marvel comic has something that's called a recap page, which is basically the previously on that you get for every TV show. It's one page that gives you, here's everything you need to know in order to understand what's going on in the stories. And so for the Star Wars comics, obviously we did the infamous opening crawl. And the amount of pressure I put on myself writing that opening crawl, you know, like everyone knows that, you know, you hear, we used to hear the 20th century Fox opening, you know, you hear the amazing John Williams score and those words set the tone. It sets the scene and good luck, Heather. It's on you. You, you got to do it. It's, you know, and I think it took me six hours to write that first one. And, and eventually it got to a point where I had to write literally dozens of these and I could do them in my sleep. But like, I just remember <laughs> freaking out. <laughs> oh, dude, I would have, I would have just completely lost my shit. You should have suggested that they make the books like the, like a musical card, you know, it's like when you open the book, it goes, <laughs> brum, bum, brum, bum, brum, well, it's funny you say that literally every time we got a new script in, Jordan, the editor, had like Bluetooth speakers in the office and he would put on the score for Star Wars. So whenever we read, we were in the zone. Heather, do you remember the first time uh, that you saw your name under the crawl, like in the blue? I do. Uh, I still have the photos my friends sent me. (laughs) That was like the the moment for me when I was like, oh my God, I'm a part of this forever. Yeah. Yeah. So cool, dude. I think think my proudest moment... It wasn't that credit like that. That was more so like, oh, my God, I'm in a Marvel comic book. But like, I think the moment where it felt like, holy shit, this is indelible now 
was when my name was dropped on a Wikipedia page. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not even Star Wars official, but Wikipedia, you know, this is a totally fan-made thing, but Wikipedia, like, that was, you know, that's in stone. That, yeah. to this day, I'm so, I'm so, so proud of that. <laughs> that's amazing. So, you talked about writing opening crawls. I guess the, to me, and to probably, like, the casual listener, and maybe not full comic book nerd who knows exactly how things are made, I wouldn't expect an editor to be writing. I would expect the title writer. So could you give the listeners kind of a general overview of what is included in an editor's job, your sort of job description, or if that's very dynamic, describe that as well. Charles, I'll let you do this one. Editors are, uh, they're, they're kind of creative producers, um, project, creative project managers. And our job really starts with an idea. They are the, the owners in, in lots of ways of the IP for a comics company. Uh, so they'll start with an idea of, I want to tell this story with this, uh, with this group of characters uh, in, in Star Wars. I want to tell this story with Darth Vader. Then you have to pitch that to some writers, pitch that to the bosses at the company at Marvel and get the green light to move forward with your project. And, and you're finding the writer, you're finding the artists, you're coming up with cover ideas with that team. And then from there, it's reading and reviewing scripts as they come in. And reviewing art as that comes in and giving notes on that to make sure that the story is clear throughout, that anatomy is right, that, that costumes look the way that they're supposed to look. And you're just really shepherding things through that entire creative process and making sure that everything is kind of up to the standard. Um, and, and you are kind of the voice, the vision uh, that carries it all the way through. When you're doing your job right, it's pretty easy. You find the right people and let them kind of carry and lead the ship. You're just kind of seeing it through. Heather, would you have anything else that you'd add to that? Yeah, I say a lot of times for comic editing, especially for licensed characters like Star Wars or your Marvel, the editors are the keepers of the kingdom. Um, yep. You know, it's your job to protect that IP. It's your job to tell the talent, sorry, Spider-Man can't kill Aunt May. That's not happening. And when <laughs> it came to Star Wars, we worked in tandem with Lucasfilm Story Group. So not only did everything have to go through us, but it also had to go through Story Group at Lucasfilm. And we worked with a really great group of people there. You know, Charles, you worked with Frank Parisi. And, and at the time, he was our liaison. And Matt Martin and Pablo Hidalgo and all those guys so it's, it's a lot of collaboration. Story Group's job is to protect Star Wars and the IP solely and how the comics are fitting in with, you know, the, the greater picture of the Star Wars universe. And that includes, you know, the games, the TV shows, the books, et cetera, et cetera. And for us as editors of the comic, we're like, that's cool and all. But our job is to make the best goddamn Star Wars comic that there right. can be, you know, and that's our priorities. And we're not just working on one comic at a time. We're working on an entire line of comics. Sometimes when when I was working on Star Wars, I was working also working on like the Deadpool books and some Spider-Man books. And that process that Charles was describing, we're doing for like 15 to 20 books a month. Yeah, wow. it's, it's a lot of work. And I, I will say this, the Star Wars comics that came out, especially during our time there and, and immediately after, Heather does not get enough credit for how much work she, she put into making that process, that process of working with Lucasfilm and, and working with, with Marvel and making sure that all of that stuff was just like on point. That was her. And the amazing content characters like Dr. Afra wouldn't be there. 
in the way that they were if it wasn't for the stuff that Heather did to make sure that those conversations went smoothly, make sure that everyone was like coming together and just making a great just a great line of books. So I think I um, saw her just wipe a tear away. <laughs> thanks, Bud. No, no yeah. it's true though. I mean, it is a complicated process. And when you're editing Spider-Man or Deadpool, the buck stops with you. With Star Wars, again, not owned by Marvel. So, so we had to work with a lot of other people, a lot of great, talented people. But, you know, as I'm sure you guys know very well, working in creative <laughs> creative groups with music typically the more people you add the crazier situations tend to get when it comes to making a singular decision based on one vision Um, it's the worst feeling ever yeah (laughs) basically and and bringing up us working in music being one of the three of us who has still to me just an insane real life experience on working on a comic book like i still (laughs) am like what you did what but um (laughs) i would equate your role as an editor and and Charles's role as my editor on the book, I worked on very much to like a record producer mm-hmm. where, you know, I had never done it before. I mean, going back to the first record I made with my band, our first major label record where we really had, they were pulling out all the stops and we were in this huge studio and we we're working with this big producer, you know, all those things for the first time. It was a similar experience in that that's when I feel like I learned how to write a song was having Mm -hmm. a producer. That was the first time I realized what songwriting really was and what the structure of a song instead of being, you know, this kind of young, I think I'm punk rock kid that songs don't have structure. (laughs) It's like, well, yes, they do. And they do for a reason, you know, and they they don't have to. But when you learn the structure of a a classic or or a great song, then you can start to manipulate that structure in a creative and constructive way. So not having written anything fictional in that way before, a book, a comic, anything. I'd never done that before. The way it went for me was there were no rules at first. It was like, hey, first of all, let me say that my comic I got to do was the the lead character was Old Man Logan. And Logan being probably my favorite superhero movie of all time, I was like blown away that that was the card I was dealt. Because I didn't ask for that. It was just like, hey, this is what you're going to do. All I got at the beginning was we need to start with old man Logan and end with him in in a symbiote venom suit, basically. That's the end. From the beginning to the end, that's that's what you got. Go with it. And so I came up with an idea that was like a totally original idea. And I feel like if I remember correctly, we were kind of stoked. We were like, yeah, this is pretty cool, actually. Like, we'll tweak it. But Charles was like, hey, just be aware the power, there's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of people involved in this and it may change. And I think this is to your point of what happens when the more people you add and the more things that have to happen. So it came back to, hey, your story was really cool and everybody liked it, but we do have to include these elements. So we have to go back and start from zero. And the whole process was just like learning how that happens. And as I actually got into writing the script, having him there was very, very similar to having a producer on an album because there was like this trust I had with him of like, you know what you're doing and I don't, you know, like (laughs) you know how to make a great record. Our producer, Neil, for Yellow Card for years, Neil Neil Avron, it's like my trust in him was, can't, can't be overstated that he knew what he was doing. So when I brought an idea to him, his way of refining it and making it better, I always trusted that a lot. So Going into this, I just think it's such a similar process, and and I it's cool to hear you guys talk about it this way because I was sitting there the whole time going like, yeah, that's that's exactly what it felt like working with an editor for the first time in my life. It was like you guys were producing my idea, and there's no way I would have just sent that script in and been like, here, and everyone be like, yeah, this is it, man. <laughs> this is the thing. It was just a killer experience, and I, I think it's having made as many records as I have and you explaining it that way 
it's cool how they, the two ideas are very similar, like a record producer and a comic editor. It's actually a, kind of a similar process. I also get the impression that it's almost like a hybrid of, in filmmaking, a producer and a director. Lots of logistical stuff and communication, and then on the ground creative, like the buck stops. A lot with, of creative input with the director. Yes. Kind Absolutely, of thing. 100%. Absolutely. I wish that comic editors could get almost a different title where it was more like comic producer or something like yeah. that, because so many, you know, I think to the casual reader and casual fan, they just assume like, oh, all you do is proofreading, right? Like, that's it. That's all you do. You're an editor. And it's so much more than that. It's There's a lot of like creative visual skill that goes into it from pitching cover ideas to uh, sourcing talent to, to equate it to, you know, more music language, you know, you need a new bass player, right? Your, your bass player dropped out of your band. Like, this podcast does not need any new bass players. <laughs> well, disagree. Disagree. Wow. We're outnumbered. I'm outnumbered two to one. All right, so you need a new vocalist, right? Your vocalist, he shit. Definitely. Um, that you, I am. You're looking for a new front man, right? Sorry, Ryan. Okay. But there's so many different types of frontmen out there. And yeah. you're looking for a specific aesthetic, a specific sound. You can't just pick any, you know, sorry, Freddie Mercury is not available. You know, and you you, you go through a process to, to figure out who's the right fit. And it's the same thing with casting a comic book. It's like putting a boy band together. It is. No, it 100% is because it's a lot like alchemy, I say. You know, um, you can have the most talented writer, the most talented penciler, the most talented cover artist, colorist, letter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the pieces just might not fit together. Right. Or they might, and it might be amazing. You never know. And that's where you, you know, it really speaks to the editor's skills of casting and being able to see these creators might not have ever worked together before, but I can see that magic. Let's try it out. You're looking for chemistry just like a casting director for a film. Exactly. Yep. Nice. You mentioned it a little earlier. I just wanted to see how involved you had to get with uh, the story group. Because I know you mentioned Matt and Pablo. Mm -hmm. I do own a couple of comic books you guys worked on. So (laughs) hi, big fan. Um, (laughs) But I did notice on that page where your name was, you know, it did mention Matt and Pablo. Like how often did you have to actually contact them and was it just like more in depth or was it like can't do this can't do that type of thing all the time on everything (laughs) that ever happened yeah literally everything we did went through story group so Mm -hmm. we needed a new miniseries right one of our miniseries was ending we needed to do another one so Mm -hmm. we literally schedule a call with story group and we'll be like okay we want to do lando or chewbacca or princess leia or whatever and story group they basically approve and say, oh, it makes sense to do a Leia comic at this time because X, Y, and Z, it fits in, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And we source the writers through them, the pitches go through them, the scripts, the art, everything went through Story Group. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of the bigger projects, especially the ones that centered around the films and the TV shows, we would uh, occasionally do trips out to Lucasfilm where they would bring all the people in publishing. So Disney publishing, Del Rey doing the novels, us at Marvel and some other people would go out to Lucasfilm. Everyone but Charles. Everyone but Charles. Everyone but Charles, sorry. <laughs> That's exactly Charles. how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> the first time I went was for Force Awakens. I got to go and they did like, here's the style guide for Force Awakens. We got to read the screenplay and things like that. That way we can see all what's going on And out of that, out of going for The Force Awakens is where we got the idea to do the Poe Dameron comic. So while they had those trips and I wasn't on the Star Wars books anymore, 
I would be back at Marvel doing the grunt work to make sure the Star Wars books going to print that week still went out and not getting any credit for it. But, uh, it's not but true. I, mean, I bought you coffee. <laughs> she, brought, she brought me stuff, uh, T-shirts. and You got a you T-shirt. Know, and hugs and thumbs up texts and things. Um, <laughs> I mean, it also worked the other way. Like the Lucasfilm would, uh, would approach Marvel uh, about specific things that they wanted or needed. I'm not sure, but I'm, I imagine that was the case with the Galaxy's Edge comics. Mm-hmm. There, was a, there was some synergy there of, hey, we should make sure that we're touching this audience with a publishing initiative. I know that there was some of that with the Fallen Order comic book tie-in as well. Like, hey, we, you know, we have this game and we need some, some uh, additional narrative support on that. So it, it's really cool how much synergy there is in all of that uh, coming together, really telling this awesome, massive story on the scale that they're, that they're able to do across these different media. So. Well, as yeah. a great example of that, Charles, I can't remember what issue or of the Kanan comic and what episode of Rebels, but I do remember oh. Story Group did this and we didn't even know. We, we mm-hmm. had no clue. Like they did this without even telling us. They suggested, oh, you should do something with this character. This was years ago, so I don't even remember who the character was, but it ended up the day that issue released the episode aired where like we gave that character's backstory yeah, and they appeared in the episode as like the episode <laughs> villain or something like that. It was like the, how in sync it all was, was yeah, see? the force made it happen. You're putting boy bands <laughs> together. It's all in sync. <laughs> Is there a, a major difference like workflow wise or idea wise when you're out there with the story group or in Marvel? For like existing characters like Obi-Wan and Anakin, like that series, obviously those characters 100%. exist, but versus something like just completely coming up with Dr. Afro, which only exists in comics. Yeah. So when you're working on any of the holy, holy characters, right? Your Obi-Wans, your Lukes, your Han Solo's, Princess Leia's, any of those guys, basically being able to change status quo or make big choices, things like that. They were very hesitant to let us do because they want to save the big moments for the films. They want to save Mm -hmm. the big moments for the TV shows. You know, we weren't allowed to do any firsts, any lasts, any mosts, any biggest, Mm -hmm. you know, any big things like that. They were very weary of which is understandable yeah i get that um but one of the one of the coolest moments that we did get to do and charles you were you were a part of this still was syncing up star wars issue six and darth vader issue six Mm -hmm. when we revealed told how darth vader learned that luke skywalker was his son and we Mm -hmm. got to reveal that in the comics that was Probably one of the biggest moments still to this day that has happened in Star Wars. Oh, comics. for sure. Yeah. Well, my hair's standing up, so but it totally it totally changes the way you watch Empire now. And I mm-hmm. think that's what's so cool about especially that first run of comics that happened between A New Hope and Empire is now that these comics are out there and these stories exist, it totally changes the way you view Empire, which was already an amazing and great film. And the fact that, you know, comics printed 40 years later can make an impact on that is huge. Like enhance it. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think that's the coolest thing about comics as a medium is that there's this amazing ability to tell huge stories, huge, impactful stories without the budget of the of the film. And you can still tell these stories 
on scale and that stand up right beside the films. It's, it's pretty awesome. You know, I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens with the Obi-Wan series. Because uh, some of my mm-hmm. favorite moments from that from that early run are those uh, one shots that are from the journal of Obi Wan Kenobi, right? I think mm-hmm. the first one was uh, was Star Wars. Was it seven, Heather? Seven. Yep. Yeah, that was the first one. And and like like that's cool because that's the first time that you get to see Luke as a kid is standing up to you know to guys. some bandits, some tattooing mafia, yeah, who, <laughs> who like who work for Jabba or whatever, right? And they, they came to steal mm-hmm. some moisture. You know, how do you do that? But, but like. <laughs> He goes out and he's he stands up to him and Obi-Wan is there looking out for him in the shadows, right? Never like quite making contact. That's going to be interesting to see how do they navigate, how does Lucasfilm and and how does Disney Plus, the producers at Disney Plus, like how do they navigate those waters of, well, some of this has already been treaded. Well, well you uh, know, that's why they asked us to stop making those, right? Oh, yeah, because because it was like, yeah. uh, we're going to, we want to do other stuff. And, and that's another cool thing about comics, right? Is yeah. like, like they go, oh shit, this is, this is cool. We should, we should be doing that. Not the comics, yeah. mm-hmm. which kind of sucks as a, you know, when you're working mm-hmm. in comics, but like, it's also affirming to go, yeah, what I'm doing matters. Oh, and it's, it's a uh, huge compliment. hundred yeah. percent. Well, like we're all just sitting here know. hoping at some point your work on Darth Vader, they will recognize. We're, we're, we're just counting <laughs> oh, the days. Yeah. Count the days. Yeah. But dude, it, it's so interesting though, how different that approach is versus the MCU, just looking at comics as the ideas to mine from, and then they, they make the, the cinematic version. You know right. what I mean? The Star Wars comics and all, you know, everything outside of the films, it's all supportive. It's all part of the same ongoing story and the same canon. So it's just, it's the really films interesting. films come first. It's totally opposite. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it is so cool. Charles, like you're saying. Who are they going to cast as young Luke? That's where my head's at. <laughs> Sebastian Stan. No, oh, as baby Luke. No, baby, baby Luke? <laughs> I don't know. Man, if Haley Joel Moisture-stealing Luke. Moisture-stealing Luke. <laughs> Yeah, if Sebastian, I, I wish he was just like 10, 15 years younger. I know. It's yeah. unreal how much they look alike. It's I know. Crazy. Um, speaking of Luke, while we're all just here, Mark Hamill liked my tweet yesterday. So we're all on the same Ooh. page about that. Awesome. Future guest of the podcast, Mark <laughs> yep. Hamill. Come liked, on, Mark. Uh, <laughs> come on, man. Do it. We're waiting. Yeah, page me, Mark. <laughs> all right. This segues nicely into from a certain point of view. A certain point of view? Many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view so it's evident it's clear that the two of you are huge star wars fans and you care so much about these stories about these characters and about this universe first of all that's something that applies to everyone who's working on star wars right now they're all fans doesn't matter what age they are everyone involved in star wars they're all fans and i think it's really easy for people to overlook when maybe they don't get necessarily what they want out of the universe whether it's in films or comics or this or that that the people making this content care as much about this universe as anyone else and star wars is obviously known as one of the most toxic fandoms which is the most tragic shit it bums me out so much we know that you guys have had some specifically one of you has been on the receiving end of some of the worst shit ever you guys want to talk a little bit about being fans and then turning into Star Wars creators and kind of your perspective on that, your certain point of view? I mean, for me, it's fan first always, you know, and I feel like it's the same for all Star Wars professionals. You know, it's a job, right? And we all need jobs and we all want jobs, but no one gets into Star Wars and works on Star Wars without having been a fan. And we all love it. And I remember the first Star Wars celebration I ever went to and Hands down, it was the most amazing convention and beautiful convention I had ever been to because there's 
thousands upon thousands of people in one room, you know, to see the drop of a trailer and it's silent, you know, cause we're all there. We're all there to watch this trailer for the first time. You can feel the energy in the room and everyone is, everyone is there because they just love this thing so, so, so much that it's brought them there from all over the world. And I wish that you could bottle that feeling mm -hmm. and then just like give that to people whenever <sighs> they're being assholes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, just like, just this is like, remember. On the label, it just says directions, drink before tweeting. <laughs> right, because it's just like in that moment, it doesn't matter yeah. if you are a Raylo or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. You're just there because you love Star Wars and you're excited about Star Wars and you're excited to be around other people who are excited about Star Wars. And if we could all just remember that, talk about world peace, yeah. right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, obviously, we all hold Star Wars very near and dear. And I've been thinking about this a little bit because I knew this was going to come up in this podcast. And I think with Star Wars specifically until, you know, more recently, it's kind of been in that nerd, weirdo, geek category. And it's only recently become cool to like Star Wars or cool to be into geek. And so for a lot of people who felt alienated or, you know, ostracized because of their geekdom, like Star Wars was their thing. It's what they clung to. Yep. Yeah. Because it was the thing that made them feel good and they were known and they got their identity. And how dare you like something that I don't like because that means that you don't like me and I'm going to take this personally. Yeah. And, and that, you know, it just kind of builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. Their favorite bands on the radio now. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rather exactly. than stopping at, you like Star Wars too? That's awesome. Yeah. You know, piggybacking on that kind of the antithesis to your Star Wars celebration story, right? Like we went down to Florida to do Galaxy's Edge uh, in January caught it right before the lockdown, oh, I hate right you. before the lockdown. <laughs> Honestly, the most amazing like week of my life. I was supposed to be there this week. Uh, I'm so sorry. Mm. Nick well, and I were supposed to be there every weekend. <laughs> yeah, I'm supposed to be there every day, which before all this I was. Oh man. But uh, like we went down there and it was, it was amazing, right? Like we walked into the park and did the whole thing early in the morning, you know, so that we could get on Rise of Resistance. We first walked back and saw the the Resistance base and everything there at Black Spire. It was amazing. And I was just on cloud nine for the entire day. Cloud City, you mean. <laughs> on Cloud City. Thank you, Heather. This is this is why you were the best. She's a oh man. But towards the middle of the day, we, we uh, were going out to get some lunch uh, and take my little kids over to Toy Story Land. And this guy comes up to me and I was wearing a Return of the Jedi shirt and he walks up to me and he goes, oh man, I love your shirt. That's the end of Star Wars. Like that's the end. Nothing else. And I was just like, wait, what? Like, why did you, like, you could have just said, I like your shirt yeah. and then walked away, yeah. you know? Totally. And it's like this misery loves company thing. Like he hates what he hates and he wants me to hate it too. Yeah. And it just like totally pulled me out of this like Zen place that I'd been in all day. I got back pretty quick because I built my lightsaber <laughs> later in the day, but like, yeah, like everything's okay again. <laughs> yeah. But I was just like, what a bummer. Why do you want to be that way? We have a theme park here. And it's because Disney made The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, right? Like, that's why this place exists, yeah. is because yeah. of those things. So, like, 
be grateful, be happy. Also, all three of those movies you just referenced are freaking incredible films. So yeah, I mean, well, there's also that. Charles, I think you just hit the nail on the head there with something of Misery Loves Company, you know, like it comes from a place of validate me, I think is ultimately what it comes down to. Validate me, and especially on, you know, the social media landscape where unfortunately so much of this toxicity lives and breathes, you get that validation in likes and you get that validation in retweets yeah. and you get that validation in responses, you know. I talk about social media a lot as I happen to be on it a lot. <laughs> and no one tweets anything just to have it exist. You know, yeah. no one does anything. No one creates anything just to put it out there. Right. We say that, but it's not true. Right. You know, you put. No, I tweeted yesterday of my Mark Hamill tweet that he liked because at first I thought I haven't tweeted in a long time and this is good. I'm going to put it out. But really the subtext there is I want Mark Hamill to see this and come on the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. I want to make exactly. Mark Hamill's yes. thumb move. We yes. put it out there because we want to get a reaction, Yeah. you know, and if that reaction is, you know, here's a middle finger gif right back to you, a blocking, if it's a response of it, any sort of response, it just validates it. And then you get your serotonin and endorphin and dopamine boost from that. And so it just builds and builds and builds and builds. And unfortunately, thanks to a YouTube monetization, a lot of these people now get financially rewarded for this. It's not even about the fandom at that point. It's not even about the person. It's about, I get rewarded for being an asshole, unfortunately. I think what's fascinating about what you're saying right now is to circle all the way back to the very beginning of this part of the conversation when you brought up going to celebration in that how fascinating is it the culture we live in where you bring up a place where thousands of people gather together to share Nothing but joy for this thing that we all here tonight have this passion for and has raised us as people, as adults. You know, we become the people we have become because of this story and this mythology. It's a place where thousands of people gather to celebrate it and enjoy it together. And I can't, I haven't been, but I can't imagine the residual positive energy you carry away from that with you. I mean, I'm not quite that like hippie, you know, I'm not like quite in like, yeah, oh, you check out your energy, bro. I, that's not my thing. But there is a certain level of that, that I definitely believe in about being surrounded by that much positive energy will permeate your own personal energy, you know, and who gets the spotlight, not a convention with thousands of Star Wars lovers, these select few trolls that decide to take the time out of their day, day after day, to spread negativity through this tool that we call the internet. I wouldn't even call them trolls. I think that's, you know, doing them a kindness they don't deserve. They're <laughs> okay. yeah, Like, at the up. end of the day, Total you know loser. what I mean? Like, <laughs> they're not living under a bridge and hiding. They're proud of what they're yeah. doing. They're yeah. despicable. Yeah. Yeah. They are assholes straight up. And in real life, in person, they're probably also miserable motherfuckers. Just like you said, Misery Loves Company. they probably hanging out with other assholes, talking all the same bullshit. But you add to that the barrier that social media, it's just like a version of the psychological phenomenon when someone's in a car. They can look at someone just a few feet away from them and just say the most insane shit that they would never say if they were literally standing next to each other on the street. So social media and anything on the internet puts that divide even further. It's just a recipe for the world we live in right now. And it's sad as hell. We, we know from all of human history, whether it's in print or whatever, 
bad news sells. Oh, People, it does. they yeah. don't want to hear good news. No, I know. I wish, I've been saying this for years now, I wish social media had a, a pop-up before you made any posts where it showed like a preview of what that post would look like with your name attached to it. And, like, yeah. and are you sure you want to post that? Almost like, here's your last chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then these sites would not get the viral sensations that they have and they wouldn't make money. And because there's capitalism. There, there's like a whole submarket for, ooh, someone just said something stupid. Let me screen grab it real quick. Yeah. And there's no walking it back after the fact. There's mm. no more making mistakes. You know, it's, it's just, mm-hmm. you said it, it's out there and now everyone hates you or everyone loves this thing that you said that's terrible or these people that you don't align with have glommed onto something that you said in a moment of passion and you really shouldn't have. And it sucks. That's why I say, don't ever say anything that you'll have to apologize for. Cause then you'll yeah. never have to apologize yeah. for saying anything. <laughs> wrong. And no one's going to hear the way social media works. No one's going to hear the apology. It's all about yeah. the worst yeah. thing you did. And the next day could be the apology, but social media is onto yeah. something new, some other devil that they're, yeah. they're talking about now. So it is terrible, but I guess it's all covered with, uh, free speech in America. I don't yeah. know. That's, yeah, that's, I don't know. It's <laughs> not to get all like preachy and this is my philosophy on things, but let's do that. Shall we? No. Um, <laughs> so why like, especially having seen my fair share of the dark corner of the internet, I really changed how I view use of social media and Mm -hmm. especially the sort of stuff that I want to be putting out there. I think it's super, super important, especially being a part of fandoms and the number of fandoms that I'm, I'm a part of is to just promote as much positivity as I can and promote paying it forward, that positivity and just really sharing that because that is what is so great about these platforms, you know, especially with fandoms, I've met so many amazing people So many dear friends that were first Twitter friends and became real life friends through Star Wars, through Twitter. You know, I met a a wonderful woman named Bria Lavornia, who is Chaos Bria on Twitter, hardcore Star Wars fan, hardcore Dr. Afra fan, you know, and we bonded because of that. And she was such a diehard Afra fan that she became the first 501st recognized Dr. Afra cosplayer. Oh, wow. That's great. And now we hang out at every convention. I go down to DC to stay with her. She comes up to New York, stays with me now. And it's all because of Twitter and Star Wars. And that's amazing. And yeah. we need more of that. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's, I don't have an exact story like that, but I went to my first celebration last year. I've thought about it every day since. It absolutely was <laughs> a drug. It was so much fun. And I'm glad I got to experience it with my friend who I went with, but then I got to meet other people. And it really was so affirming to me that ever since that moment, I was almost addicted to Star Wars community. I wanted to build it. I wanted to be positive influence in it. When I moved to California, my first, uh, the Comic-Con I went to was LA Comic-Con. And I was like, wait a minute, I really like this. Like, I see this community. I really like it. And I think that this is where I'm at in my life, where I find joy in this. And everyone at LA Comic-Con that day was having fun. And I'm like, why would anyone ever be negative about this. Everyone is here to have fun and have this part of them that that hasn't left them since they were a kid, which is rare. I think a lot of the negativity comes from people when maybe they grew up and they're jerks now, you know, and they they resent people who are having fun and still have that like childlike sight on the world, you know? That's such a hard thing to hold on to that I know I never want to get rid of it and actively I think 
being part of a Star Wars community helps me keep that. And I think that that's a very novel thing and like a good thing that people have to preserve. Yeah, we all grow up and life presents hurdles and yada yada. But if you could hold on to anything that makes you happy from when you were a kid, I think that, that you know, that's a success story right there. And and Star Wars to me is that. So to be able to go to Celebration or Galaxy's Edge or opening night of a movie, that energy is palpable and I'm addicted to that. I want that forever. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes me a positive Star Wars fan. I don't want to take that away from people. I want to create that. I want to make more instances like yeah. that. So now I'm a host on a podcast. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, one, of, one of the things that you guys talk about uh, a lot that has continued to resonate with me and that I've long felt is, is how important it is to remember that this content is for kids as well, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a dad. I've got a, a three-year-old and my youngest is going to be one uh, next month. And I started watching Rebels with my three-year-old during the lockdown. And uh-huh. it's amazing that every day she's like, oh, can we can we watch Ezra? Mm-hmm. Oh, wh- what's going on with Sabine's hair? Why is it a different color today? Like mm-hmm. that stuff to me, like it's stupid. And then there, you know, there's older fans who would be like, ah, this is, this is cheesy kid stuff. But like the fact that I get to watch star Wars content that my three-year-old can like really wrap her head around Mm -hmm. is so rewarding to me. Cause that's what star Wars was for me. Right. Like I watched it with my dad coming up and now I get to share it with my kids and it's so great. Uh, and that's all that matters to me is like, I want more Star Wars forever so that my kids can share this with their kids and it can always be a thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, to quote a pretty lady in a shiny gold helmet, they win by making you think you're alone. <laughs> yeah. And I think our little podcast, Star Wars Celebration, whatever it is, wherever you find that community is what should be getting the spotlight. We know the world we live in. It's probably never going to. But the fact is that doesn't mean we're not doing it. You know, it doesn't mean that the number of people who love it even if they have issues with the sequel trilogy or whatever, like me, I'm, it was very hard for me to get through the prequel episodes of this podcast and keep a positive spin on it. But nonetheless, we did it. And I forced myself to find positivity in it because I love Star Wars. I love Star Wars. That's what I'm here for. And I think everything we've talked about tonight, it should be what's focused on. And the reason it's not is because the people who are doing all the negative things are outnumbered. So they get focused on. You see them because they stand out. The rest of us, are a unit. We are a community. So when you stand out, you're the black sheep of the community, you noticed, you know, you get more notoriety. And we're never going to stop that. So all we can do is keep trying to spread this kind of positive energy. Totally. Charles, it's so important, like you said, to really connect with how kids are seeing all of this. And I think parents get that. But what they fail to do oftentimes, number one, not just see, oh, you like this thing that I don't really get only because you're a kid. They should be thinking, oh, I understand why you like that because it makes me understand myself or helps me understand myself. And then instill in them, when you get older, don't be an asshole (laughs) to the next generation because like you said, this content is never going to stop because you're already seeing like, I've gotten into it with teenagers on prequel meme Instagram accounts. If I say anything positive about the sequels, they're just like, are you fucking stupid? You know, they're just, I mean, teenagers (laughs) are assholes to begin with, but they're already angry about the sequels because they think the prequels are better. You know, so like, it's just, it's happening generation after generation. So yeah, parents, if you're listening, teach this shit to your kids, <laughs> teach them to be positive fans. Well, it's funny, you know, that you say this because when my boyfriend and I started dating, he's, you know, he is a sequel. He's not, he's not a fan of them and he's a very competitive person. And basically I won't take the bait 
he'll say whatever nasty thing he has to say about whatever. And my response is just, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I understand that's how you feel. Yeah. That's great. You know, and he just doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> and it becomes so ingrained in people. I think you're going to say this thing and you're going to get this reaction. And so when you get responded to with just acceptance, people don't know how to process that. Yeah. You know, I, I think in our industry in particular, like as, as storytellers, like there's a certain expectation that we have to come out of, of a film or reading a book or whatever it might be like with a critique that has a negative spin on it. Like, Oh, well I didn't like this or that. It, it can never just be like, Oh no, I, I enjoyed it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that's a thing that I like liking things. So like, <laughs> you do, you really do. You get sad if you don't like things. Yeah, I do. Like I don't, I, I and this can't is tell you guys the amount of time. If I had a nickel for every single time, Charles said, Heather, I'm sad about just like a movie he saw or an episode or anything. It's just Heather, I'm sad. Yeah. Like I want, I want to like things. Right. So like, yeah. Yeah. but that's better than like threatening the lives of JJ Abrams family. Yeah. Oh, for Be sure. Sad. Don't I mean, be a, you know what I mean? Don't be a dick. Be yeah. sad. Don't be a criminal. I, I, I think I'm pretty well adjusted in that way. Um, so I, I think that's so in our industry, like it, it, there is that expectation that we are, we're cr thinking critically about things in such a way that we can come away from seeing a film or playing a game or creating a comic and, and go, uh, well, these parts didn't work. And while I'm capable of doing that and I, you know, when the job requires me to do that, I do it. But like, as a fan, I like to go into a thing and just go, man, that was a fun ride. When yeah. I came out of the force awakens, I was like, man, that was so good. When I go back and rewatch it eight times, you know, mm -hmm. there are times where I go, mm, Finn climbing up on the control panel of the Millennium Falcons, kind of weird. Don't know why he's <laughs> doing that. But like, I still enjoy it. You know, like I still enjoy the movie. I, I enjoy The Last Jedi when I'm watching the film. There are times when I'm in my thoughts after I'm like, mm. right. but yeah. you know, like <laughs> I like to like things. And I immediately, when I start like getting into that place of, mm, this is weird, I go, this is gross. Star Wars yeah. is awesome. Let me go talk to my kid about why she likes Ray or who was yeah. your favorite thing. And I never say to my daughter ever, oh, we don't like that thing. Right. I let her lead as far as what she is into. And I, I think that that's like a big thing that people with kids and people who are around kids are and engaged in media that is for kids. Like just let them lead and find your joy in those places. I like that. I like that too. <laughs> I want to move on, but I want to say lastly, Right along with what you're saying, Charles, it's okay for something to just be pretty good or pretty fun. Not every single piece of creative content has to fulfill everything that your emotional state at that moment needs as a fan. You know what I mean? Something can just be fun and pretty good. Solo was fun and pretty good. And I love it because it was just fun. Were there things that could be complained about? Yeah, whatever. There's a YouTube channel, dude named Patrick Willems. He does these- um, He's my buddy. Really? Yeah, he's he's like one of my good friends. Dude, he's awesome. I love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Super he's smart. He's one of my buddy. Oh, good. It's a small world Get him on the podcast, all. Heather. Ask him <laughs> if he wants to be on a podcast. He's super smart. I 100% will. We'll talk so, after. This one, this podcast to be <laughs> yeah, specific. Yeah. yeah, not someone else's no, no, podcast. No, I got that. I got that. <laughs> so he does these video essays on films, and he has some strong opinions, and they're well-informed opinions. He's a smart dude. He's not a troll in any sense. And he had this great video. It was like his 
sort of like a season finale for 2019, which was a perfect way to end that year. It's just called A Mild Celebration of Pretty Good Movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. And it's just about movies that are pretty good, like National Treasure is pretty good. It's fun. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't have to be the best fucking movie you've ever seen in your life. Otherwise, you're going to be an asshole. It can just be pretty good. So if we all think more in that kind of lane, I think we'll be better off. Amen. Charles touched on it. It's a, expectations, I think. You know, everyone's, I'm guilty of it, but I think I'm enough of a smart human to be like, uh, I think I'm disappointing myself. I don't think it's the album or the movie. I think my expectations are the reason I'm disappointed. And then yeah. you go back and listen, you go back and watch, and things are good. I think yeah. you things could also get, yeah. and this is a good segue into stuff we like, uh, but I think another thing to break it down to just sort of like a first world problem of not thinking The Rise of Skywalker was that great, for example. Well, what about the part where you were sitting in an air-conditioned Dolby Atmos theater with the whole thing, <laughs> like, shaking your life, eating candy and drinking Coca-Cola, the most <laughs> fabulous concoction human beings have ever invented, watching TIE fighters and Star Destroyers explode and, like, well, get over it. Like, it's, yeah. it's yeah. pretty good. It's pretty good. All right, let's talk about stuff that we love because we're clearly all on the same page we like to love stuff so i love you i know okay charles and heather what are your favorite storylines during your time at marvel doesn't it doesn't have to be things that you worked on specifically but during your time there when all this was coming up what are your favorites give us maybe i don't know one or two each i get to go first heather just ah. because, just because you worked on so many. No, no, no. That's fair. And that's fair. That's fair. You, you, you go. All right. You're wrong, but go. I'm wrong about what my favorites are. Yes. Yeah, that's how the internet works. <laughs> Got Your it. opinion is incorrect. Got it. Okay. So I already talked about one of them. My, like, I really loved that first issue with Obi-Wan in that flashback, uh, Star Wars number seven. Uh, that was just such a cool moment. Uh, Obi-Wan's always been one of my favorite characters. So that was pretty neat. The, I think it was, was it the first crossover between Vader and... Vader down. Maybe it was the second one. Screaming Citadel? Was oh, that that's the, second the second one? one. That's the second yeah. one. Yeah. That one was super dope. I don't think I was still working on that no. one. But that one was like super dope. And that was uh, one of the things that I really loved about that was I was out of the Star Wars books at that point. So I was like completely enjoying them as a fan again, which... You know, when I came off the books, I was sad, but like, it was a pretty cool thing to be able to just enjoy those, those stories as a fan and to see the characters interacting together. Afra played a pretty key role in that, right? Such an awesome character. I hope that she gets more play outside of comics as well in the future. But yeah, those, those are probably my two favorites, the Obi-Wan flashbacks and then Screaming Citadel. Dope. Heather? Excellent choices. Yeah, I think one of my favorite projects that I got to work on with Star Wars was the Obi-Wan and Anakin miniseries. It was super, super fun. We originally wanted it to be an ongoing series, but uh, due to you know other plans in the Star Wars universe, we could only do five issues. And Jordan had this really good idea of every time we see the Jedi in Star Wars, it's always in a war. You know, you never hmm. just get to see Jedi just like, what's a regular day in the Jedi's life? Like when they're just being space police, basically, right? Right. There's 10 years in between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, where theoretically there was peace in the galaxy. So Charles Soule pitched this great story of 
it's Obi-Wan trying to train Anakin, but we start to see the seeds of doubt that Anakin has in the Jedi. And we start to see Palpatine plant those seeds and begin to manipulate them. And it's so subtle and written so well. And Marco Cacchetto's art is just gorgeous. And that series was so much fun. It's one that I definitely wish could go on for hundreds of issues, but alas. <laughs> and then the Dr. Aphra series, you know, as Charles knows, she's super near and dear to my heart. And to have a character debut in a comic book and gain such viral popularity that she can sustain her own series and it's still going on five years later. Like there are Marvel classic characters that can't maintain a series that long. And there's some magic in her, some force within her, shall you say, that the fans have truly latched onto. And as Charles said, I, I, I cannot wait to see what else Lucasfilm has in store for her because she's just as important, at least to the comic storyline, as your Han, Luke, and Leia are at this point. It's awesome. Again, I'm not as well read. I don't think Ryan or I specifically are outside of the films and like a few things, but the little bit I know about that character, the dynamic between her and Vader is so cool and is unique, it seems, as compared to his dynamic with anyone else. And just, yeah, a very cool character. I'm only missing uh, one Black Series. I have every single Black Series figure except for Triple Zero. I have BT and Afra. Somehow I have not gotten Triple <laughs> he's Zero. He's right back there. Oh, wow. In my background. Mail him over here. <laughs> no, now you know he's where to mine. Get it. <laughs> also, uh, Adam, Patrick says hi. Oh, hi, Patrick. <laughs> um, good job. <laughs> All right. Related question to your favorite. And one of you guys spoke a little bit about this earlier. What project doesn't have to be your favorite, but what project are you most proud of having worked on during your time at Marvel in the Star Wars universe, since that's our podcast? Uh, I'll go first. It's kind of weird, but I'm very proud of it. I came up with the written language for the droids in the Star Wars universe. Wow. Fun behind the scenes fact. When the writers are writing for your nonverbal characters that are speaking, like your Chewbacca's, your R2-D2's, your BB-8, they actually in the script write what that character is actually saying. So it kind of helps the artists know how to make the characters act. Right. One of my jobs as the assistant editor was before it went to the letterer, I would put in basically the the beeps and boops or whatever for these characters. So the letterer knew what letters to letter in. And because I am so type A and <laughs> such a crazy nerd, I created an actual like language and dictionary. Mm-hmm. It, it all started with BB-8 when the Poe Dameron comic was coming out, specifically is when this happened. And I... <laughs> I went so far as to like have the screenplay for Force Awakens and watch the movie and like kind of like get a sense of like what BB-8 was saying and what sound effects lined up with that. And I created an actual dictionary for it. Oh, wow. You're such a nerd. And when Story Group <laughs> found out that I did that, they asked that they could have it so they could send it to everyone who is working on these characters. And it's now like mm. the official language. Dude, that's incredible. <laughs> that's insane. That's pretty cool. 
So when you guys go back and edit the previous episodes and all the swears, yeah. uh, yes. Heather's, Heather's have, got a key. A Can we reference you? it for our beeps? Sure. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to have transcripts at some point, and we'll need that. <laughs> God, that's fucking awesome. There you go. I just That just happened. <laughs> Charles? Um, I mean, mine's, mine's not nearly as cool. I, so I, I guess there's, there's kind of two moments. The first for me was getting that first proof of Star Wars number one and seeing my name in that. I mean, that was huge. I get emotional every time that I talk about it. it it's, it's just huge, yeah. man, uh, to be able to know, Hey, I'm a part of this forever. And then towards the end of my days at Marvel, uh, I was working on the Mace Windu miniseries and growing up, you don't see a whole lot of black characters in Star Wars for listeners who can't see me. I'm a black dude, um, <laughs> proudly, um, but, but you don't, you don't see a lot of, of black characters in Star Wars. So like, you know, I immediately was like, Oh, Mace Windu, that's awesome. Uh, as a kid. Right. So like getting to work on that book was really cool. Um, and it was, you know, just a story that, that followed him on a mission during the Clone Wars. So those are my couple. That's freaking awesome, dude. How many of the on-screen cast members who played the characters that you've written about have the two of you met? Oh, goodness. A handful. I haven't met anyone. Like I was going to say, like, Charles, have you met Sam Jackson? I, I haven't. I, uh, in one of those moments of, you know, supreme uh, uh, social media thirstiness, I, I tweeted out. <laughs> To him when we mm-hmm. sent Mace Window number one to press. I remember. And, and he didn't respond. <laughs> he didn't respond at all. <laughs> I, unfortunately, so I would get a lot of requests from the actors or, you know, their their agents, more likely their managers, who wanted original art. Yeah. Because the characters would get, you know, drawn into the series. And, like, Greg Grunberg somehow found my email address. <laughs> and he, you know, he played Snap Waxley. And that character appeared in the Poe Dameron comic as like a regular in the series. And he really wanted to buy original art. And I had to be the sad person to tell him, sorry, Phil Noto draws digitally only. (laughs) (laughs) And then I never heard from him again. I played uh, an acoustic set at Wales Comic Con two years ago. And on my way to the airport, to go home, I rode in a cab for three hours with Greg, and he was the oh, coolest well. dude. <laughs> He's a delight. We talked the whole way, and I definitely had this secret, you know, back of your head. You're like, man, we're going to hang. This is going to be a thing. We're going to hang. And no, that's not a thing. <laughs> but either way, yeah. either way, it was, it was a really cool three hours hanging out with Snap, Wexley. So I like that. Awesome. Sidebar, I know somebody recently, I was talking about this podcast and she works for Fox Sports out here and was like the LA Kings, like on ice reporter. And she's like, do you want Greg Gumberg on your podcast? And I was like, uh, yeah. So we do have a connection. <laughs> and now you have a story. Yeah. So. The, 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 uh, okay. We're connecting we'll the dots here. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Heather knows his agent. Love dots. So yeah. your people. Oh, no, no, no. It was, it was Greg who emailed me. Oh, it was Greg oh. specifically. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's make moves. Let's make this shit happen. <laughs> Patrick awesome. Williams, Greg Gumberg. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. More about you guys. Do you have a conscious memory an earliest Star Wars memory. I do. Absolutely. You go, Charles. Okay. Um, so my first time watching Star Wars, I was I was born in 88. So I was like primetime Power Rangers kid. 
that's the only thing that I wanted to watch when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first time that my dad tried to show me star Wars, I was like, not about it. I was like, I don't, why do I don't want to watch this? Like put power Rangers back on. Let's watch power Rangers dad. (laughs) And he's like, he's like, he's like, no dude, like you just trust me. (laughs) So I was, I was five and he sat me down in our little, we lived in a little basement apartment at the time. And we sat down and we watched star Wars for the first time. And man, my life changed completely from that point on. I didn't stop watching Power Rangers, but I was like, <laughs> Star Wars was number one at that point. And it was, there's been no looking back since then. You were so, five. You um, said you were five years old. I was five. Isn't man. that wild, man? Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that because it was the same thing for me. You know, first time I saw it, that was it. And I did not grow up watching the original trilogy first because I am a baby. I was seven years old when Phantom Menace came out in theaters, and I was so lucky that because I grew up in a small farm town in the middle of nowhere, that we got to see the Phantom Menace as an end of the school year field trip. Wow. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Awesome. I actually got to see every single one of the prequels as the end of the school year field trip. Because How much does Mich- that speak to the Star Wars universe? Like to the, right? <laughs> that- <laughs> I, I think that speaks more so to there was just nothing else to do. I don't but- <laughs> know, though. Because were they taking you to other movies as an end of yeah, year field trip? No, no, no. Like, we okay. did. Yeah, every year you got a movie. Okay. Um, but Star Wars always came out, you know, end of the school year. So we were seeing Phantom Menace, and it started... And I was hooked. I was obsessed. Like, I think I was the right age for that. You know, Anakin was my age. We had Padme. You know, I was just, I was just all in. Pod racing was the coolest shit ever. It's working. (laughs) (laughs) Now this is pod racing. Yeah. (laughs) But I was so into it that when the credits started rolling and the film ended, I hid under my seat in the theater so I could stay and watch it again. Yes. <laughs> Rebel. Because you're seven and you thought that's how it worked. <laughs> I knew that this is the room where they would play this movie. So I'm just going to hang out in here. And I got in a lot of trouble, but I kindly reminded my parents of this incident when I got the job at Marvel and just said, eh, kind of. I was on to yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. And they let me back three years later to see Attack of the Clones. So just a little slap on the wrist. Yep. <laughs> All right, moving on. This next segment, we still don't have a damn sample for. I have an idea for it. We're going to talk about it after that we've stopped recording. Sweet. Oh, I got an idea. Test by 94. So this is a lightning round. Just three things, three little questions for you folks. It's not a quiz. It's not a test. It's all opinions, really. Who wants to go first? Charles does. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll go Charles, Heather, down each of the three. Cool. This is a big one. We haven't done this yet. This is a big time. Yeah. <sighs> Favorite film out of... All 11. Oh, I hate this question. It's Empire. <laughs> it's, it's Empire. Uh, I, 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 yeah, it's Empire. All right. Mic drop. Me? Oh, Rogue One. Nice. Wow, that's my one and two. Interesting. Hmm. Either or. Charles, prequel trilogy or sequel trilogy? Sequel trilogy. Heather? No. <laughs> Nostalgia <laughs> or? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Darth Vader. No, <laughs> no, I'm not picking. I refuse. Oh, oh wow. you can't not That's choose. That's not how this podcast works, dog. There's, there's a follow up. I put a follow up. Give her the other one then. There's a second you option. Can't force me. 
We have a backup either or. That's not an option. I, I, I didn't get to not choose. I had to choose. You have to you choose, Heather. You didn't say no. You didn't put your foot down. Charles, because, because those are the rules. Your choice. And I'm a Your rebel. choice, Charles, was not only correct and not up for debate, but hers has this hiding under the seat story that was really going <laughs> really to make it hard yeah. to come up with the right so, answer here. So here's, here's the thing. By picking one, you're not saying the other isn't also great. All Star Wars is equal under Things my eyes. Things can just be are, pretty we good. We are very complex. We are very complex. We can have feelings, <laughs> all different kinds of feelings. And I refuse to. Both of them. I refuse to. <laughs> the reason I had, to, like, I just, I, there was no brainer for me is because the way that my daughter Laurel feels about Ray already, just like watching her dress up, she'll sit there when, whenever anyone's using the force and she just goes like this. That's so it's like it's it's got to be the, it's got to be the sequels. It's so complex because I can view the prequel series as just a fan because yeah. I was a kid and then the sequel series I cannot watch those films as just a fan because of how integrated my professional life has been with them. Yeah. I know how the cookie got made for every single one of the films that has come out so far. I think you just answered the question. Yeah. Yeah. So you like yeah. the prequel. <laughs> I, think, I no. think that's the answer. No. I can't imagine having gotten to watch the prequels at seven instead of 19. Yeah. God, that would have been amazing. I would have rather had that experience. Well, cause that's the thing. Whenever, whenever anyone wants to get in prequel debates with me, because like everyone's, Oh my God, attack of the clones is the worst film. And I agree. It's not a great film, but like it holds such nostalgia for me. Yeah. I bet it was a great like, film when you were nine or 10. Yeah. It was ridiculous and cheesy. And, but, Oh, this is what I, I said I was going to say for the the podcast before we started recording. Have you guys seen the YouTube cut of Anakin and Tommy Wiseau's love story? No. <laughs> no. Show notes. Uh, oh, my God. So I assume you've all heard of the great Oscar shunned film The Room by Tommy Wiseau. Oh, yes. So some brilliant human being recut all of the romantic Anakin Padme creepy love scenes, but with Tommy Wiseau. No way. <laughs> I will send you guys the YouTube clip after this. It is. Please. It's going in the show notes. It's the most <laughs> amazing car wreck you can't tear your eyes from. It's so good. I'm so it's excited. So good. Yes. I'm pumped. <laughs> I'm so fascinated by that damn movie. Drew, I really enjoy your would you rather, by the way. Did Drew come up with it? Yeah, very well done. Yeah. Dude. Well done. I made a small addition. <laughs> so um, wrapping up either or, we're going to say that it's prequels for you because you have that childhood that's nostalgic that's connection that's and that's fine. so valuable. <laughs> Let us decide for you. It's okay. You're off the hook. As a man, are you trying to speak for me, Ryan? Oh, no. <laughs> are you trying to speak for me? Listen, I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> a group of white men trying to speak for the only woman on the podcast. Uh, I see how it is. No, 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 it's okay. I, I'll order for both of us. She'll be having the um, prequel trilogy, and I'll be having. Uh, well, great, guys. Hey, we're I, all friends, guys. Hey, guys. I I hope that you, everyone listening enjoyed me being on this podcast for the few months I've been on it. Now that's it. I'm, I'm out. Good luck with your solo career. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, all right. Would you rather? You're familiar with would you rather as a general thing. Mm-hmm. The idea is that both of the options... I've been to college. Yeah, both yeah. the options have to suck to some degree. We like to make both of them good-ish, but with at least a shitty caveat. So, <laughs> yeah. would you rather live on Naboo in shorts and t-shirts all day, every day, but your only company, your only neighbor 
let's say you live out in the woods or something, your only company is Jar Jar Binks. Or you live on Mustafar in full winter gear, like parka gloves and everything. But your your only company is Baby Yoda. <laughs> oh, Naboo, hands down. <sighs> this is this is hard for me because <laughs> oh man, I I don't I don't really I'm not a big summer guy. <laughs> so like the shorts and t-shirt thing, I'm like, meh. But like it's gonna, gonna be hot, hot, dude. hot as balls. It's, it's gonna be hot. <laughs> well, and you know, Baby Yoda's gonna push like some button that's gonna just like. That's just my life, though. Like I have, <laughs> I have an eleven-month-old, right? Like he's ready for random button pushes. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot, man, that's really hot, Naboo. I'm sorry, that's Naboo. too hot. Here's my only thing I'm gonna throw in there. You've already made your choices now, so this doesn't. It's not no! gonna help you. But I seem to recall a a, a grown. Yoda of species to be yet determined, whatever it is, just deciding there was going to be a storm to light a tree on fire. So at some point, if you were really hot, I imagine the child would be like, all right, hold on. Let me whip up a little winter storm for you. We'll cool it off. I'm just thinking. And then he nap for like a week. (laughs) (laughs) Give him a bottle, put him to bed. (laughs) My headphones fell off because I laughed so hard. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So then you would have to live back. You'd have to like be sweltering hot while he naps for yeah. an extended period of time. Oh, Those are awesome. two pretty shitty that's options. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> All right. I guess that's a good place to wrap it up. This has been awesome. So fun. Yeah. I, we, uh, honestly, we planned on this being a shorter one, less than an hour, but I, I saw an hour. I was Fuck it. I just let's keep rolling. <laughs> yeah. No, this, been fun. this has been so fun. I think one thing I just want to say before we finish going back to what year was it, Charles, when I visited the Marvel offices, 2015? It was 2014. 14. It was my first week. I didn't say this during the early spiel, but... It, so yeah. <laughs> I remember that it was your first week there. So the people at Marvel are really great about letting people who take advantage of their position like lead singers of bands come and tour the offices. So I got to go tour the Marvel offices and I, I had some friends who had done it and they also it was just unreal and they, you know, it's just such a cool experience. So I went and did it and I knew that there was some Star Wars stuff in the works, which is again kind of criminal now because I haven't read it all, which I was really excited when it was all happening. And you know how that stuff kind of gets away from you. We're like, oh, I'm going to read every one of those and then just yeah. life happens. But I was excited to be there and see that and see how it was made and see the people working on it and meet the people, you know. So I'm walking through the offices and I just want to say there was this cool moment of like trade off where when I walked into the Star Wars office, I think Charles was super psyched to meet me. We had met before at a show, I'm sure, after a show, I'm sure. But as I mentioned, and I'm being fully honest that I and have been with you as a friend, that like I don't remember all those experiences because yeah. I was a fucking mess. But in this experience... <laughs> and I was an ex- super excited 14-year-old nerdy <laughs> sure, kid. But still, just like, none, <laughs> none, none, that's not an excuse for me. All my, but this <laughs> encounter was very pure and very real. And you were really excited to meet me. And it's funny because I was in that moment... Prior to, you know, our previous encounters, however many there may have been, I was just as excited to meet you because I was like, this is crazy. I'm I'm in Marvel and you look at all the Star Wars on the walls in your office and I'm meeting you and this is crazy. And I just thought, I don't know, I'll never forget that moment. And, and the fact to find out later that it was your first week there it was just it was really cool. 
and congrats to both of you, by the way, on everything you've done, everything you're still doing. Just every time I hear what's going on now with you, it's like, it's just awesome to have creative friends that are doing cool, amazing things. So congrats and thanks for being here. Thanks, dude. I feel the same. Let's wrap it up real quick. Let us know what you're working on now. If you want to tell listeners about anything and maybe where we can find you each on social media. For sure. I am a writer for a game company called Mythical Games. Um, We have our first game coming out later this year that I'm very excited about. It's called Blanco's Block Party. It's like a builder uh, MMO game that is based around this world of vinyl toys. And it's going to be really fun. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, You can check that out at our website's mythical.games. You can find me on social media at CL Beecham on all things. Sweet. And as for me, I am senior editor at Valiant Comics, where I'm working on a bunch of characters like Exo Manowar, Shadow Man. You might have seen the new Bloodshot movie starring Vin Diesel that just came out right before the world ended. (laughs) (laughs) As well as I do a lot of freelance writing, editing, and art in the comics world as well and dabble a little bit in games, but I'll let that be Charles's profession. I won't take that from him this time. (laughs) Um, And you can find me on social media at Heather Antos. It's just my name. I'm boring. (laughs) No, you're not. (laughs) It's not the 90s anymore where everybody needs some like obscure fucking internet handle. Stargirl3922 underscore. (laughs) Mine was at babyhuey24. Nice. (laughs) Except there wasn't an at. It was just just (laughs) babyhuey24. If you want to find the podcast, we are on Instagram at thankthemakerpod, on Twitter at at thank the maker one and most importantly patreon.com slash thank the maker pod my personal is at adam the skull on all the things bill key over here you can find me everywhere online at william ryan key and i'm all over the social meds at uh, at nick bayside <laughs> i figured oh, i'd save shit. us some time <laughs> I had to save us some time. We were running long. I had to, I had to bring you. So <laughs> Oh, well done. Oh, folks. Everyone, thanks for listening. And don't forget, if you want to participate in the AMA episodes or you just want to back the podcast, you want to help us continue to do this, you can go to patreon.com slash thank the maker pod, become a patron. And until next time, may the force be with you. 